Welcome to Welcome Tales, also chat, the stream on YouTube. If you haven't subscribed to the channel already, go on, hit subscribe. Uh, <laughs> how are you getting on? Mel is with us today. I think Mel Lynch from Her Story. Uh, well, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on with us, Mel, because I'm a massive fan as you, of you as just a human being and everything you do, you fucking legend. Oh. Uh, so it's great to have you on. And as always, I'm Aaron Hegarty and I'm joined with my sister Sorica and we're going to be chatting about a story, our last episode. But first and foremost, Mel, let's hear about you and what the hell her story is for those who don't know. What the hell is her story? Yeah, God. <laughs> this should be started five years ago, constellating uh, in the ether with Waking the Feminists and yeah, all the feminist, I suppose, rising and, uh, women in Ireland and around the world. And uh, I suppose it's a project of its time. I just wanted to tell the story of 75 women to start and then it just kept growing and growing and growing from there. And in the, I suppose um, in the last five years, we've made um, a women's exhibition that tours, to, currently touring the Irish Embassy Network worldwide. It's the first women's exhibition to do so. And last year we had a huge production with RTE. We made a major documentary TV series. We had an animation series for, kid, for kids. And there was a 18 part podcast series and school workshops and it's a microsite that's primarily on RTE culture as a teaching resource. So we've, we're now officially part of the school curriculum as a teaching resource, um, which is super duper. And then I suppose this year we've done some yeah, really powerful light shows. Uh, None of them on Women's Little Christmas. We partnered with Safe Ireland, the domestic violence charity to spotlight domestic violence, of course, because it's a huge issue in the pandemic. And then on Bridget's Day, we created a pilgrimage of light all across Ireland in honor of the survivors of the um, mother and baby homes, which mm. was uh, cathartic and healing and heartbreaking as well. So that's a little bit of what we do. I suppose it's a storytelling movement. Official Ireland call it a movement now. So we've got the, the stamp of approval and uh, it just does its thing. It kind of bolts on me every now and again. I'm like, get back in your box. And it just, it flies. It has a Bridget energy about it. You don't put Bridget in the box. You know yourself. No, never. Amazing. I'm like, it really is fucking amazing. I guess like, Mel, I heard about you as the crazy horror story lady for about two years before I met you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I need to go to the backtrack. And Sorica, we've yeah. been working with her story since you met Mel, so why don't you tell that in yeah. a story? We were actually we were actually comparing notes on this because I thought I'd met Mel first at the Bard Summer School on Clare Island, which is the mythology summer school. But actually, Mel had come to a show of ours and seen us, and then I'd done a show for her story in Smock Alley. The back first in year, yeah. back in twenty seventeen, it was me and Trassa. Twas indeed. I get flashbacks now. Yeah, yeah. Who does the the Ishnook walking tours? And yeah, I can't, I'm yeah. blanking on her surname now terribly, but we'll put it in the show notes. And Oshin and Rue were, were playing the music for that. And we did right. we did a telling in, in Smock Alley Boys School. And then the following year, it does make sense that Aaron didn't meet you for two years because he was away both of those winters. So uh, <laughs> these were Aaron skiting away for the winter uh, periods of time when he would just like fuck off for like, I'm going for a month. And then like three months later would turn up again. Uh, with like sunburn and a new tattoo like <laughs> he's like i only did that one time one time <laughs> but the second year then we did uh we did a show on the the smock alley main stage and that was me and rue and oshin and Aoife who did the the some of the the mythology again um and yeah we've been kind of 
plugging in with her story from yeah. the start. And then last year, I think Aaron and Ushin, you guys went and did a storytelling at the GPO for the for the lighting up uh, the GPO, which is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Like these light shows that you guys do where you project artwork of goddesses onto public buildings in Ireland. And like, it's just stunning oh. and such a wonderful uh, way of making, because um, I think feminism can get such a rap of being like this sort of dour, like you know angry thing that is is you know if you're not into it you don't want to engage with it and it's just really you know illuminating things and making it light and making it beautiful and making it inclusive Ooh. uh and then of course our last show our our big show that we did um last year this time last year in fact i think it was this day last year because it was the the end of oh, february wow. yeah uh, one year ago yeah. in the sugar no, club no, it was the um, start of February. It was a month ago. So Bridgester, yeah. Oh, you know, right. the start. <laughs> yeah. We had to go up to Belfast. We were lighting up Belfast City Hall yeah. that night with the Peace Herons of Northern Ireland. On the weekend of Brexit, it lined up with Bridgester. It was very, that was very healing and powerful as well. But I missed you guys. And I'd heard Tarflin said to me, the show was absolutely phenomenal. So I'm looking forward to watching back. You've made the video, haven't you? It's, it's on YouTube now. Indeed. We have yeah. indeed. We're, we're like, I think that's, we were talking with earlier, uh, a Brené Brown podcast about knowing about invisible friends and having faith yeah. that you're, you're all kind of knitting together some form of sweater for wetter weather. Um, you, you know, you're, you're, you're preparing yourselves at yeah. your own different corners and there are people doing great movements and all of a sudden you know you get to do a bit of a storytelling night yeah. cohesion or see someone who's painted something that you can project onto it mm -hmm. you know and it's just beautiful and to, to and that's up. that was that link up and that's where those images like for those of you who've seen the the videos of the of the her story obviously it's in the the title of the video as well but that's where they came from it's the same it was the same reel of images that was projected onto the gpo that year was what was playing behind us on the stage um and they were gorgeous and, it was and so lovely. we'll actually chance to see some of these images, which I'm really looking forward to. Mel, you're going to bring us through some of the slideshows that, that you've yes. done. But, but not just yet. But yeah, not just yet. You have to look forward to that. We're keeping it all very well streamlined here now. Oh, and hit yeah. HQ. So first of all, we, we have to do kind of what this podcast gets to do is talk about the story that we told about last week. Mm -hmm. uh, now, we've been doing a whole series of goddess stories because of the month that's in it, because of Imbolic. Uh, because of Bridget and the Divine Feminine and the, the goddesses that have not got their chance to have their stories told as much. And that's kind of part of Candle Tales. I know it's hugely part of her story. That's why we synchronize in that same little thing, which is lovely. Um, and now, I guess, we're, we're talking about the goddess Anya. And she happens to be one of the goddesses that you first projected in your first yeah. year. Is that right? Indeed, yeah. Jim Fitzpatrick's bare-breasted Anya. We, we lit her up in Dublin, I thought, because I, I, you know, I, I lived and worked in Paris. I thought, God, I'm really ruffling feathers doing this in Dublin now. What are they going to think of me? Lock me up. But no, we got away with it somehow. Maybe that's why we didn't get much funding for the first year, I wonder. Like, <laughs> she is like bare-breasted goddess up in landmarks in Dublin. But we did have, we had a breastfeeding Madonna this year. We've gone to a whole new level and we didn't get into any trouble at all, actually. It was the headline story on RT culture. So Ireland yes. is moving with the times. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> you can see that progression you can see that progression which is great and like i i you know i'm, I'm very excited to see the, the images at the end and talk about what you're doing again um in terms of the, in terms of anya i mean the goddess of light the goddess of sun the goddess of the moon she's kind of a fertility goddess she's a love and kindness goddess she has this retribution thing i know you listen to the story because we're chatting to you on friday 
and uh, Soraka and Anya, uh, Mel, I kind of want to ask, is this, is the theme of this story essentially resilience? Am I missing the point here? Or is that kind of, if you had to summarize, summarize the theme or what, what is the theme that you found it to be? God, that's a good question. Resilience. Hmm, I didn't take resilience from it. Um, I'd say for me, it's the indomitable spirit of the feminine mm. and the ability to heal and transcend through any trauma. Mm. And I, do, I really believe that we have that ability and the issue of rape needs to be discussed in a lot more depth and detail too, publicly uh, within culture too. But um, yeah, that for me would be just indestructible. There's no stopping us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think there was something more than resilience because to me, resilience means like enduring something, but there is something yeah. in in Anya that wasn't touched by the violation. Do you know what I mean? There's something, there was something in her that, that transcended it. I think that's the word really. I think it's more transcendence. Mm. Um, mm. And like, I thought it was a really, um, it was an interesting one, like, because we talked about it a little bit and about like, it's a difficult subject matter and all that kind of stuff. And because even though it's not graphic, it's it's quite visceral, um, you know, the way you told it. And I think you told it very, very like unflinchingly, um, especially in terms of like, you know, you and I had discussed this and in all the sources, in all the source texts, it says it says, oh, he was overcome by her, by her beauty. And we both had this reaction to that where it's like, that's not what fucking happens. That's not a thing. Like, no, that's we're not putting that in the story. Um, you know, that is not what rape is. It is it is about power and domination and it is violence and it's a choice. And like it is a it is a a convenient excuse that people are still using to say, oh, I couldn't control myself. And it is and ever has been complete fucking bullshit. And it like does not fly. And so I, I thought it was really, really, um, it was a very powerful telling of that, like not shrinking from that and not taking any excuses for him and mm-hmm. saying like, this was the decision. Like he, he very clearly made a choice and it was a fucking brutal choice. Um, but yeah, there's something in Anya that is stronger than his uh, ability to hurt her. Um, and I've always loved her revenge in that story. I always think her revenge on him is, it's so satisfying, but it's also like, it's so surgically precise. Yeah. Like she does the minimum physical harm to him that fucks him up top to bottom. His whole life is over. You know what I mean? She makes him not able to be a king anymore, ever. She takes his job, his livelihood and his status with one, one bite. Like it's fucking and it's not it's not splashy and it's not gory and it's not over the it's not like overkill. It's just like that's to me, it's just like it's it's surgical. She's just like, mm. all right, you you hurt me, your life is over. And it's very or worse <laughs> than in a way, you know. Worse, worse than, than, yeah. Worse worse than if she killed him. Like he's 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 reduced to nothing in his mm. society from being a king. Um, and it's very, I don't know, I feel like that's a very kind of, uh, that's something that, that Bridget is the kind of thing that Bridget does as well when she, when she loses her temper. Like it's not, it's lots and lots and lots of love and compassion. But once a certain line is crossed, it's like fucking annihilation. 
which is also kind of an interesting part of the goddess story and the Anya story in particular. But you need that Kali energy as well, you know, like mm. that, that you need to be able to be the, the Morrigan, I suppose, in this context, like you need to release the rage. And I think female rage is something that is really uh, dismissed and uh, put down and kind of blamed for crazy and, and, and shunned, which mm. is like a really weird Then you have this adaptive behavior where women don't show anger because it's ridiculed and you have men hyper uh, aware that they ha- can only only communicate in rage and so you have this divide in kind of how ways of displaying authority and connection and then you all, all of a sudden you this is where that, that leads to I guess that mm. balance. Um, so I think transcendence is the way to go with that one I think you're right it, yeah. it is a, a step above Mel do you want to jump in and yeah yeah and I think anger is an emotion um it's something that is defining our times, um, but it's not very well understood because it's, I think it's got huge energy and emotion behind it, you know, but it's cathartic and it's potentially alchemical and potentially highly constructed if you know how to wield it, but it can be highly unpredictable and destructive too. And I went through a big process um, with my, I suppose I call it a feminist awakening. When I started her story, I became an angry feminist overnight and like my rose tinted glasses, like they literally shattered and I started to see the subtleties and the explicit like sexism everywhere because well I would have grown up in a, in a household where women were equal and that's going back generations on my mother's line that from Northern Ireland and there's a real tradition of, of very strong women and then feminist men who would respect women um so for me like it was like this like uh-oh what am I gonna do with this rage and I, I was like oh I'm an angry feminist and it was like oh you know burling and swirling inside me and I had to catch myself when I used like the mirrors technique uh, it's like Jungian psychology, you know, you, you're observing yourself through multiple lenses and mirrors. And I, I really, I caught myself projecting this rage onto the men in my life. And like somebody like my younger brother, who's actually was a staunch feminist long before I ever was. And it's probably with the most hardcore feminist in our family. Like he's the only boy of like four, with four girls and he's the middle child. And um, I'm so proud of him. Like when the repeal the eighth was going on, he was, uh, you know, at a house party, spent the whole night convincing his friends to vote yes. To appeal the eighth, like he's such a, he's such a hero. I love him to bits, and uh, and yeah, and like I caught myself projecting, like my uncle, my dad, and like these like the men who empowered me. I was like, what am I doing? Like, you know, so this is thousands of years of suppressed rage and anger. Mm. But I can't project it onto the men, and it's not fair to also project all that rage that's built up for eons onto contemporary men because it's not their fault. It's a legacy of. So I then I decided to c- create what I call compassionate feminism. Now I'm not there all the time. I'm not there all the time. And I had to dance and sometimes I'm angry and I have to be angry and sometimes I have to create from a space of anger and that's important to own that anger and to give permission to, for people to feel the anger too. But oh, then more yeah. often than not, I'm like, okay, well, what's the, re- what's the leap here? What's the paradigm leap? How can we bring people on a, on a healing journey? And ultimately, how can we shift the trajectory of humanity and Irish culture in a way that's inclusive and healing and transformative and empowering for everybody? So that's why we have as many, may like, male, I say call them godfathers, like men supporting her story as, as, as women. And, you know, I'm going to a meeting with Orti and there's 19 people in the room. And the first thing I have to say is this is a compassionate feminist project. We're not attacking the men sitting in the room. And you can actually feel a sigh of relief. These wonderful men like um, Derek O'Connor, like the direct, you know, he's the, the editor of Culture and Owen, who's like, he's the head of digital. Like they're really good guys. And I'm like, just we're all in this together. And they genuinely mm-hmm. want to support women. So. It's a bit of a dance, like, you know, how you use anger and what yeah. you do with it. But I use it as a creative force. I think if you have an outlet, it helps. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think and like, I, 
what you what you need there is like compassionate masculinity as well like because yeah. you know this whole idea of 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 the divine and, and divine masculine or feminine and, and the different roles that that has or holds in society like you essentially just need everyone to kind of calm down be grand about it we're all in this together and your, your article on on uh, father's day two years ago that you sent me recently was brilliant and we read it uh, today coming from the car because it was like ah fucking fantastic this is the <laughs> stuff that like my father's been saying you know the, uh, the room for male hurt and the room mm-hmm. for female hurt they're in the same room they're you know that's the fucking thing and like people yeah. who are in higher power will always abuse people who are in lower power it happened to be more men in that situation uh, than women in this society in japan there's a fucking horrendous story of you know women beating up their uh, kids because there's a hierarchy of of their abuse for male and then the uh, female mm-hmm. abuse on children because they're in lesser it, power it goes downhill it, it's always that thing of like the most vulnerable get hurt the worst in in that kind of any kind of system of inflexible hierarchy and like it doesn't matter if if the person at the top is at the top you know or is it's easier for them to get to the top because of their gender or because of their race or because of whatever else if you've got a system of inflexible hierarchy the abuse goes downhill yeah. And everybody loses everybody. in the long run, actually. The people everybody. who are even in power aren't really what that's not true power because domination fundamentally is a it's a state of um what's the word? It's uh you've got like expansion and then it's like contraction. contraction. Like you yeah. can never be in a state of love and in a state of domination. It's it's actually impossible. Love is always an expansive state. So if you want a loving, compassionate, caring, inclusive society, you have to shift out of domination. And that's why I, I prefer to use the word domination than patriarchy because mm-hmm. women, given the chance, can be the, actually the greatest patriarchs. It's, I think it's gender mm-hmm. mutual just because historically men would have ruled. But I'm seeing it now. I've had more women trip a personal story than men, and I, I have to name that. I won't name the women. That's I'm trying mm-hmm. to move beyond the judgment of it, but. To name it is important and to also name toxic femininity because I seem yeah. to be the only one using that term in Dublin when I speak at events. <laughs> we all have shadow and there's shadow across the whole spectrum and we have to own our shadow and integrate it to move beyond it. But this idea that women are innocent, uh-uh, I ain't buying it. It's, yeah. it's, do you know what? I really object to it because it yeah. is it is actually a, a capitulation and an agreement with how women are be, who how women are oppressed by society because yeah. part of the oppression of women is an infantilization of women it's yeah. why you see women and children in the same fucking breath on the news it's not because they're special it's because they're like children and like yeah. this comes to bear in like you know they're not fully grown ups they can't take care of themselves they need a protector yeah. and women like female innocence is part of that too the yeah. myth of female innocence is part of that mythologization the angel of the home all of that bullshit that has been wrapped up over generations and put on women. And I I also fully am with you, Mel. I completely yeah. reject it because like if if we are, you know, if there's any point to any of this stuff, it's it's to acknowledge that all of us are fully human. And if we are all fully human, then none of us are perfectly innocent and none of us are perfectly yeah. evil because those things are not human parts of the human condition. Yeah. Not to be afraid of shadow, I think, is really important too. There's a lot of conditioning around. I, I mean, that's, that's, that's what the great gift of bar mythologies is like when you're spending time with Jungian psychoanalysts and they're unpacking shadow and those destructive forces within our, our, our psyche and the subconscious and, and oh, culture. Yeah. And then you name them and you own them and you work through them and they're not so scary anymore. And it's like, fuck, yeah. but this is just, this is the world we're living in. And oh. 
it, it, had, it's hugely empowering you know it's so it's so powerful I had the best time at, at Bard Mythologies one time when I I decided to inhabit the character of Midir from Midir and Attain because I think he's I'll such a I, I I don't li- like I never liked him before and I always thought he was yeah. such a prick and he was such a like nasty little patriarch ah. like I'm gonna swap out my my like old woman yeah. for a new woman and I I still think he's an asshole but I now know where he's coming from yeah. And it's, yeah. it was really interesting. God, my God, did I go into We can mode. all play the roles. Like That's the whole <laughs> point. We're, we're, we're all eight. We're so flexible in ourselves. We can actually adapt to all of these archetypes. You know, we have the full spectrum yeah. in ourselves. And that's why we identify with these roles that are played yeah. out so beautifully in these myths because we can recognize and we can see them all. You know, we can see it going mm-hmm. on. Um, and, and look, I, we're getting a lot of comments on uh, on the group at the moment. Um and Exciting. Very good. Yeah. Hoshin just handed me a phone. Do I need to read anything? It's good. Sorry, you're better multitasking. I can't multitask and read. Sorry. How do I find um, you? Go on. You know, but I want to bring it back to a topic that we were talking about, Mel. And uh, we were looking at this knock on your story, I guess. Last week in our, in our podcast, we, we put out a, yeah. a call for people to uh, get in touch if you thought the side story needed a trigger warning because it dealt yeah. with uh, coercion and abuse. And I guess <laughs> the Nakani story, unfortunately, deals with rape. So if we're going to put out yeah. a, a, a trigger warning, we're going to have to put out for definitely both. Yeah. And we're going to talk about the trigger warning aspect and uh, some of the deeper themes. I just really want to quickly read out this um email that we got from uh, Sai, who's um, a brilliant uh, storyteller herself and a human being in general. I listened to your podcast, Sai's Story, and after the chats just today, it blew me away. The saddest thing, but so gorgeous with all the well-thought detail, dot, dot, dot. I can personally relate to, and therefore wanted to comment on your comments on it maybe being a trauma trigger for some, Mm. and should these come with a warning? Possibly all of these stories come with one general warning, not for the faint-hearted, which is fair. But more importantly, stories that have the power to heal, as Clarissa Pincola Estes says, and that is invaluable. If it triggers some healing or questioning or discomfort, so be it. Fantastic. I just thought that was a fuck. Salema, sorry. Salema wrote that. Ah, Salema wrote that. Yeah. Lovely. Um, so I, I pop it over to you, Mel, and, and see after listening to it and not being not being given a, an oral uh, trigger warning. Yeah. Do you think it's something that it, this story should come with or in, when you have images of a sexual nature that could be abusive? Is a trigger warning very necessary all the time? Certainly in this case. Oh, God, it's, it's a tricky one because I suppose we're living in a hypersexualized world, hypersexualized culture and rape and sexual abuse has become normalized in culture um, to the extent where is it even a trigger but and I think that's a, it's a really good point that you're making because it's something that is so extreme and yet it's so normalized so for me yeah I think a trigger a trigger warning given the times that we're living and I think with people in a pandemic situation where everybody's you know spending a lot of time on their own and they're reprocessing through their stuff um, that potentially a warning is a, is a good idea in these circumstances. But I, I, I love that quote. That's the author of Women Who Run With The Wolves, one of the great classic texts on um, reclaiming the lost goddess cultures. And I think I'd, I'd love to name my own, to add to her story, uh, my own personal experience of 
healing through um, sexual abuse as a, as a young girl. I talked about it before um, at the Safe Ireland Global Summit and I'm very processed, I've integrated through it, so I feel very comfortable. And I hope you don't feel uncomfortable me bringing it up, but I know we talked about it mm -hmm. earlier. And uh, for me, like I wasn't raped, so I told myself I wasn't raped, therefore it wasn't a big deal. And I buried it in the back of my psyche and I was only 14 years old at the time and uh, pushed in my subconscious. There was no question of, feeling guilty or shameful about it or this whole idea of you know you you asked for it I definitely didn't I was groomed by one of my coaches and um fascinating happened so I, as far as I'm concerned it, it never affected me you know I've had like four brilliant relationships uh long-term relationships and I've always thoroughly enjoyed my sexuality but in my 20s my late 20s I would get these flashbacks out of the blue there was no fascinating there's no trigger it would just come back up into my into my conscious mind and I would ex experience this exquisite wrath and anger and I was like God, this is really interesting I, I thought I was supposed to feel shame and guilt so I reached out <laughs> to a mentor of mine and I didn't know yeah I know really interesting right I didn't know and I think this is where the healing is that's why I'm sharing the story just in case there is somebody here who's listening who hasn't had the opportunity yet to process through their own experience of sexual abuse because there's a spectrum you know it's like you know, being molested in the club is one thing, you know, or, you know, on a nightclub. And then there's, there's, there's a whole spectrum, but they do affect us. And a lot of it's subconscious. Um, so what happened, I reached out to a, a mentor of mine and she, I didn't know this, but she was a therapist to a lot of victims of the King's Hospital coaching scandal. And she said to me, she said, oh, Melanie, she said, oh, no, 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 no. That's cultural conditioning to feel shame and guilt. The primal reaction is rage because it's fundamentally an attack on your sexuality, which is in its true definition, your ability to give and receive love. It's primal. So you're actually, if we were allowed as women to feel the rage and the wrath, we could then transmute it and, and heal through it. So she gave me a meditation technique and some art therapy to work through it. And like it was, it was an explosive week and I worked through it, it was amazing. And then I waited until the time that I felt ready to actually share uh, to report the incident um, to the guards and the second time actually I scheduled him to meet the detectives and um, would you believe I left Dublin Castle it was the repeal the eighth uh, celebrations in Dublin Castle hopped on the bus so imagine the fuel of that feminist fire hopped on the bus home to Mullingar and straight into the detectives <laughs> wow <laughs> I was some goddess walking into <laughs> the garden station I was on fire and uh, they were really incredible. I have to say, like, I never felt for a second that they didn't believe me. And they said to me, like, at the end of the course, they were like, there was no question about it. Like, you were brilliant through the whole process. But another thing that I want to share as well is a lot of people feel it when they report something that they're not believed or the interrogation process is very intense and it's questioning their, their authenticity and their truth. And I asked the guards about the psychology behind it. And they said that what they're actually doing is they're, they're intentionally trying to trigger an emotional response in you that they can then use to get the perpetrator to confess. Oh, wow. They're looking for, yeah, they're looking for angles and triggers and they explain that to me. And I'm like, oh, that's, that's why they do what they do. Jesus. But unfortunately that's not well known. So a lot of women feel like they're being actually attacked by the guards and not believed, but actually they're on your side and they're trying to get the right triggers to get the conviction. So that's wow. why I think it's so important to share and that's really, that's really that important information for people yeah. to know, I think, because yeah, that, that stops a lot of people from coming forward. The idea of, and I mean, that still sounds yeah. like it would be tough to yeah. go through when you're in a vulnerable moment. Um, yeah, I think for me, like 
it's weird because I'd already processed through the, the rat and there was no real shame or guilt there. So I walked out of the garden station and I felt joy. It was free. I had no <laughs> idea how I'd feel. And it lasted for a few days. So like it wasn't flippant or superficial. It was a really genuine joy and a lightness. And then like through the end of the process, then like my energy levels like increased. And I, so I had no idea that this, this incident that happened when I was 40, like one off, had such an effect on me at a subconscious level. So that was really a beautiful gift. And I feel like I got like some of my power back too. So I'd really recommend it to anybody listening if they are trying to, if they're triggered by the story of Anya and they're building up the courage to, to, to speak their truth and to get justice um, that it is it can be a huge, huge transformative and empowering process mm. just make sure you get the right support in place and pick the right time as well so you've got a bit of breathing space to process yeah yeah, yeah. of course and that's yeah. I guess why it, it feels like it's important even in, the, in this conversation and in this podcast and this post your chat to be able to talk about rape and the rape of Anya and and yeah. look at it without without the the skipping over that the story does in a lot of the text which is and then he raped her and then blah 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 and you're like what just happened without, without oh wow yeah oh yeah it's just like sorry hang on so the, I found mm. that so jarring and then to talk it talk it out with Zorica and hear that I guess go through that kind of constant thing that you hear an awful lot of, of guys being you know, oh, it was her fault. She was wearing a miniskirt. Yeah. I was overcome with loss. What else was I supposed to do? You know, blah, blah, blah. And, and that disassociation from someone's culpability, essentially. Um, and, and to just show it a stimulus, show a trigger, which is just going to have a, a physical or an emotional reaction to. And you can kind of justify it however you want to. But essentially, yeah. we all have those fucking we see things, we have desires for the chocolate or whatever, and we're all capable to fucking either pick it up or not pick it up. Um, <laughs> and when it comes to attacking somebody, <laughs> you have way more of a choice, way more choices. Yeah. So, many choices. Yeah. Uh, so I guess, yeah, as a man, I find it difficult to bring it up as like, should we talk about rape? Because I've never gotten raped. I'm also not very afraid of getting raped. And I don't think I'll probably ever get raped. And um, that would be great. I hope that's. <laughs> I hope that for all of us, you know, like... listening and at home, <laughs> that nobody ever has to go through that. Just as a general wish for everyone. <laughs> general, wait, <laughs> Not just the three of us, but like all the way out. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 an interesting it's an interesting thing, but I also think it's a real like. I, I think the worst part about rape um, is is the mind control of it because it becomes something that women are taught to guard against their whole lives. Like when I was in college, it was like, like watch a drink because somebody might put a drug in it and then rape you. Uh, and like when I was kind of, you know, night going home, like I, I always used to walk home from pubs and people would be like, oh my God, you might get raped. You know, every everything like the rape is the is the boogeyman that keeps women compliant in a lot of ways and it's not that it doesn't happen but there is a part of it where I think like a lot of women even women who have not directly experienced a lot of sexual violence mm. this is a this is a thing that is like put on us that like you have to you have to be careful about how you dress you mm. have to be careful about who you hang out with you have to be careful not to get too drunk you have to be careful about who you go home with because mm. you will get raped it's like there is a there is this cloud of rape out there. And if you don't take XYZ precautions, it will happen to you. And it completely mm. removes the rapist from the equation. Yeah. You know, there's no kind of like, 
Don't rape people with bad rape. And and I think part of the problem is that is this idea that we have around rape is that we've made it into such a monstrous thing. It's like only monsters rape people. And that is not true. Human beings rape rape people. Mm. But it's it's the kind of crime that because it's made monstrous, you then get into this really weird paradox where nobody believes that their friend is a rapist. Nobody believes that their dad is a rapist. Nobody believes that their brother is a rapist or their sister or their mother or their daughter because it's so big and it's so kind of mythologized that like people reject the reality of it. And I think I think we've like, we have done a really weird thing in our, and part of it is the unspeakability of rape. Part of it is like not talking about it or not telling the stories of, you know, a goddess who was raped and is then fine. You know what I mean? She's she's not unhurt, she's not undamaged, but she's she's mm. fine. She's still on you. She's still on you of knock on you and she's still there if you go to her at knock on you. Um, we don't tell those stories often enough. No. A lot of the stories we tell about rape are stories where the woman is ruined. Yeah. And the woman is, you know, uh, goes and throws herself off a cliff. Like those are the stories of rape that we tell in our culture. Mm. And we also tell the story of a rapist as a monster, mm. not your friend, your mom, your dad, your sister, your brother. And so we dehumanize the rapists. We take them out of our community. We make them into boogeymen. We disown them. And then we don't deal with them and we don't deal with it. And I think it's all like, <laughs> it's all kind of of a piece as yeah. to how we are failing to deal with it with sexual violence as a thing. Yeah. Um, Cause like, it's not, it's not true that it is, you know, it is impossible for a man to be the victim of sexual violence. Um, like I remember that was one of the, one of the really uh, interesting stories that came out during me too, was Terry Crews, the big, huge former footballer guy um, on, he's, he's been on a lot of different television shows, massive dude was sexually assaulted at a party. And he, he came forward about that and he talked about it. And like, it was, it was giant six foot tall or seven foot tall made of muscle Terry Crews. Somebody, somebody like groped him uh, at a party and, and then smiled at him because he knew that if he, if he got decked, if you're, if Terry decked him, it would be black man assaults white man. And it would be a, it would be a different thing. And so like, it was the same shit. It was the same leveraging of power to put somebody down and to show your domination over somebody and it, it I think it just really kind of showed that like we tell women and girls that they are uniquely vulnerable to this and that's not actually true um men and boys are very vulnerable to this and like I remember reading a quote about um you know people working with sexual assault uh, survivors in, in El Salvador and one of the workers there said a thing that really stuck with me she said boys grow out of being victims and girls don't boys boys get old enough that predators lose interest in them but girls don't so that's the difference it's not that it's not that male children are safer than female children um and that's a really scary thing but it also like it's also part of the the reason that men are silent about this issue uh, I think e there is a massive silence among women 
there is a massive silence among women and there is a there is an even bigger one among men because i think it's it's um it's seen as a feminizing thing to be assaulted in that way and that was a long rant guys sorry <laughs> No, I think it's very important to oftentimes sit back and fucking listen when, when you ask a question that you struggle <laughs> to comprehend. Um, so it's no, I think it's very important this discussion. And like even just reading back some of the, comp, uh, the top the uh, comments on the YouTube page at the moment, the first half was about being able to hear me. Apparently, I was muted. Sorry about that. Um, but a few people are saying, yeah, it's a very disturbing story to listen to. This is uh, Mark, although very effective and dramatically, uh, I could almost see what happened. And yes, there was wow. um, flinching. Um, but uh, Ria said, mind blown trigger uh, for information for the Cardi to use. Thanks for sharing, Melanie. And, um, oh, it's good. More, I'm glad to hear it helped somebody. A few more people just kind of commenting on, on, on how, how useful it is um, to hear, hear this type of conversation. Because I think it's weirdly enough, yeah. um, it's one of those things that we, well, I guess we're telling myths. We keep on going down these big archetypes. We keep on opening up and we're, yeah. we're looking at the whole spectrum of humanity in all of its terrible aspects and all of its beautiful aspects. And I, like mm. you, Mel, I prefer to remove gender from the fucking equation because I think it, it, yeah. it confines it. It limits it. It makes it, you know, inconsequential, actually. Who yeah. is the perpetrator? Who is the victim? In a lot of myths, um, and, and sometimes we get trapped in this genderized version because because male pain exists alongside female pain. It, although that's calling, really important, you know. Yeah. Although calling women and children in the news, ten women and children were blown up in this bombing. It it yes, surrogate definitely does reduce women to being the fragile and being like the, the ones that you should protect amongst the yeah. female and children. And it's also incredibly also dismissive of men. Completely dismissive of men. And I, I object to that either. phrasing on, you know? on several fucking levels. <laughs> oh, but again, really it's so much. Like it. Yeah. You know, it is, you really, it's one of those <laughs> fucking things that is just, <laughs> um, ah, um, no, but it, and, and that's why I'm so thoroughly, I have been looking forward to this uh, chat mail for so long because yeah. I guess I've been, I got stuck, I'm not going to lie, the, the music of Knock On You um, yeah. was one of the most difficult things to, to do in this lockdown because wow. we're not, none of us are in the same fucking room. We, we text, is, oh yeah, that's up, oh I read wow. it, why you read it? I've been doing the music for two days, oh shit. Was, so there was just a couple of complications with uh, how we're doing the music in this one. And it ended up being, because I guess uh, Rory O'Shea took the, the month of the podcast of, of, of her story, or sorry, the goddesses series for mm. Candle Tales. And you can really see something that he really paved together and beautifully orchestrated, a very harmonic and kind of piano related, very chimey, lots of, and he, he linked them so beautifully to be uh, yeah. kind of thematically linked. And then the Knock On You one, it became actually a, a collaboration between, again, four lads um on the sound i was playing a bar on behind roche doing the bass and hushing and alan Holman uh playing guitar and riffing off it and and working with it and talking about the theme and talking about the topics within it and how we relate to it as men and i'm putting music to it and putting the driving aspect to it and putting the 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 tension the, the softness and standing back and listening wow. to that fucking story i mm. think you know as a group of men without women in the room and then to come back and <laughs> talk to women in the room I think it's a fucking beautiful thing. Um, yeah. And I think it's very important that we, we continue to mix and, you know, do our yeah. things in, in our own groups yeah. and come back together and mix because that's how we learn and process, yeah. I guess. Um, 
Oh, completely. Like, this is such, it's such an enlightened conversation. It's, it's going in places where I, I never actually had imagined it would go. And it's lovely to hear your artistic process, as, you know, from a musician's perspective, how do you do justice and, and to really bring out those emotions, but also to respect the narrative and just how dark it is. That's, that's no easy, easy task. So I hear you. Wonderful stuff. And I just want to also name into the, you're talking about the, about the men suffering too. There's an insight I'm going to share with you because we're at this, the, the flow of the conversation. Um, I've got a number of obviously advisors behind the scenes of her story and uh, psychotherapists and psychologists and, and consultants and mystics and people who have to read their eye on the culture. They're just observing, tracking what's going on. And one woman gave me an off the record. Um, she has to for client confidentiality, but she told me a huge insight. She said she's seeing a trend now with her her clients who are male from the age of 20 up to 60 and beyond, they're all coming to her trying to process through their guilt and shame around porn addiction. And they're very aware that it's affecting their ability to connect with their partners and it's affecting their mental health, but it's the guilt and the shame of it. And for me, that's a leap in the masculine trying to heal and return to authenticity and to the heart. Because when you watch porn, Anytime I've seen it in the past, I end up getting like it's like plastic puppetry, like like a lot of the bad stuff is anyway. It's, there's no there's no connection, there's no heart in it, and you know we're seeing that effect that it's having on younger generations now. On average, young boys in Ireland watch hardcore by the age of eleven, and yet the Catholic Church has full control of our of our sex ed still. So we've been running focus groups of students um, last year, myself and our educational psychologist. We um, we have a dream, a long-term dream to start a new sex ed for, to empower girls mm. and, and boys too, because and there's boys, a gap so there. Good. There's so, so many so gaps in sex education and like there's so oh, much that really? it doesn't address in it's terms terrible. of like, not even yeah. just like, it's, it's, it's focused on fucking reproduction. There's nothing in there about queer Biology. sexualities. There's nothing yeah. in there about asexuality. There's nothing yeah. in there about like different kinds of relationships people have, no. like monogamy and nom. There's so many bits yeah. of it. That, and there's nothing in there about like uh, coercive control and abusive relationships and like signs yeah. to spot when you're still young enough to know the difference, you know what I mean? Or to, to get out quickly. There's, there's, it's it's massively deficient. Yeah, and it was actually interesting. One of the students said to us, um, "God, she was so she hit the nail on the head." She said, "You know, there wouldn't be so much teenage pregnancy today if it actually was taught properly, because yeah. there's so much curiosity and lack of empowerment, really, for young girls. That that's how these things happen." Um, so that's a long-term project um, that we're definitely I mean, looking at developing behind the scenes. But I just thought that insight about how men are suffering and trying to process through their guilt and shame. And that's through all the generations there now. Mm. And that's a real trend with, with psychologists. So I must actually, I'm just trying to find the right uh, media partner, you know, a national newspaper or some, some men to come together and say, okay, we're going to bring this topic to the public. We're going to open this can of worms and we're going to hold space and doing it in a real safe, contained way. Because if men are mm. suffering to that extent and, and they're very aware that it's affecting their relationships, Fair play to them for having the the, the courage to, to to face it and to process through it, but we need to create a national safe space for that bigger conversation. Sure, I, I, I think it's an amazing one to even just to touch to touch on the pornography yeah. aspect of, of things because like Rome McDermott does a lot does a lot of school talks and she's a fucking she's a warrior woman and a goddess in her own right, uh, and she gets fucking slammed by all these fucking 
dumbasses who type in <laughs> and being fucking asshole. But anyway, she like, you know, she, she puts up with a lot and yet keeps on plugging. And one of the things yeah. she talks and talks about openly and freely is sexuality and sexuality. Mm. And she'll just blazingly look in, into a guy's eyes and go, so what's your, what's your kink? What, what do you search? What's your, you know, like, you know, like, and or whatever. But she demystifies and she takes away the fucking, uh, the, I guess, the nastiness and the hidden yeah. agenda. And I think that's kind of like, you, you got to be able to talk about pornography if you watch it, lads. Like, if you do, then don't fucking run away from it. If, you know, if it's something that you do, then it should be probably something you're happy about. If it's in mm. your life, then maybe find a way yeah. to kind of integrate it, integrate it. If you want to fucking go down that kink, go down that fucking kink. Like, if you don't, then like stop hiding and uh, hiding in a dark lit room, yeah. running away. And, and it, that's the thing that I guess a lot of my friends have brought to me, you know, just. Well going for walks or like geez man i had to fucking give up watching porn because like you know it was just really fucking awful like it's oh wow but sure like but and guys mm-hmm. have these conversations and they're few and far oh. between and one of the fucking one of the reasons oh. male suicide is so fucking high is because men don't have groups that they instantly text or communicate with when they're feeling low because women are biologically trained to do that anyway you go oh, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at that low point i need my girls around me and these are all girls who fucking feel it on a literally monthly basis. Um, but guys don't <laughs> fucking, but guys don't have that kind of yeah. thing, you know. Yeah. And and we, we, it's very difficult for men to communicate and find a language for for safe communication about emotions. And well, it's again, something... it's it's a thing that is it's a thing that is cast as being a feminine thing, and and it it makes a man mess of, less of a man to be like a girl, and therefore talking about your emotions is girly. And therefore it's it's shameful and bad. And and it really fucking puts men like it's that that quote from Bell Hooks, the first act of violence that the patriarchy, if I can use it, asks of men is against themselves, not against women. It first asks men to do violence to their own emotions and their own emotional selves. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I think it's absolutely fucking bang on. bang on. Like that's that's what happens. Men have to have to emotionally stunt themselves in order to survive under a system that takes anything uh, that is about, you know, connection and compassion and vulnerability and says that's that's for girls and girls are shit like that's 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 a consequence. That's that's sure. one of the things that's one of the consequences of it. And I, I think it's really important, Mel, as well as you want to comment on the fact that you didn't you're avoiding using the word patriarchy because yeah. it's one of those words has become with toxic masculinity, the yeah. the the arsenal for fucking feeling shit about being a man and this <laughs> anti-masculinity and this thing of like, no, you can't be a big, strong, hard, uh, fierce man because that's endangering people. No, hang on, that's that's that can't be fucking right. Hang on, that's not what any of that means. No, and, and it's not. I'm not saying that that's what's said, but <laughs> that kind of ends up being the fucking the end result from this whole toxic masculinity. Yeah. As soon as you hear patriarchy, you're like. I, as a man, I've gone through this like, ah, oh, paycheck I guess it's all my fault. I shouldn't wank. Well, what it's, it's a, like, it <laughs> is a term, it is a term that triggers a lot of defensiveness. Yeah. And, and I think it's a term that triggers a lot of defensiveness. And then a lot of people, rather than engage with, where is that defensiveness coming from? And why am I feeling it? Yeah. Will then go, okay, I feel defensive about this. Therefore, I don't like it. Therefore, it's bad. Therefore, I'm not listening to you anymore. Which is kind of like, I get a little bit frustrated with that because like this is a conversation that I've had with um, our dad a number of times and also our brother a number of times where they're like, 
blaming me for stuff. And I'm like, you are having a defensive reaction that is yours to deal with and process yourself. <laughs> and maybe if you would like to go away and do that, we can finish this conversation. But like, we're just having the same fucking conversation about like, well, I don't like that word. And I'm like, well, it, it describes a, a, I think a useful thing. Here's what I think it describes. Yeah, that's fair enough, but I still don't like that word. I can well, understand. Yeah, I'd love to be a fly in the wall and you're... Oh man, you know what? I've already, I've already said... Aaron has been several times. I've already lined it up like, <laughs> fuck this, you know? I'm just going to like have our next uh, podcast post-show next month just between me and my brother and go, so guys, uh, patriarchy. Ooh, loaded. <laughs> go. Yeah. Um, Aaron words, like, it's such a loaded word. It's a loaded word. Like in copywriting, like yourselves, sir, you have background working in advertising. And we learned about the power of words and, and how, but how you can also disseminate them and reimagine them. That's why I call it compassionate feminism. And geez, when I dropped that article last year, I really thought like, and friends warned me that like the feminists, the hardcore, they're going to go after you. Not one single mm -hmm. negative comment. Now that was a year studying philosophy in Trinity to be able to build an argument that you're yeah. respecting all perspectives and weaving them and then trying to, also portray what's the leap here yeah. but it is every perspective you know and i think um really having to like we have to move beyond the anger you can get so stuck spinning in the anger mm. and that's what like feminism historically has been and it had to be because we need to feel the rage to have the energy to move beyond it but i really believe this third wave of feminism has to be compassionate or else yeah. sure equality is fundamentally it's, it's a state of harmony Mm -hmm. and anger is fundamentally divisive so we yeah. have to alchemize this but if you think if you see it as i think it's um Eckhart Tolle, is this, i'm trying to remember who the author is who said that if you think of anger as a huge ball of emotion put in your hand feel the anger big ball of emotion now take the anger away keep the energy and have some fun uh, play with it yeah yeah that's yeah. good well you that's know? what i like about cali it's like fucking yeah. feel the rage lassies fucking go for it roar out loud and don't fucking tell me I'm not allowed to get angry because yeah. it's a fucking justifiable fucking reaction to some shit that's going on. Now, as long as I don't direct it at anyone and make any harm, <laughs> let me just fucking blow a fuse for a second and don't get annoyed at me. No, we'll have a rational conversation with you. I think <laughs> you need to be let off to fucking have that release. Like, um, I, I dislike when people go, oh, you got very angry, therefore I'm eradicating you from talking yeah. with you or no. you, know, Which you is can't handle your emotions. Which is one of the things that you've experienced happening to you in your personal relationships and is one of the things that happens to, you know, the feminist movement in its entirety by yeah. some people who are like, well, you're too angry. Therefore, I don't want to talk to you. You're being irrational and, yeah. and I'm not going to listen. Crazy. And like, Diva. yeah, it's all of these ways of like. And I think, you know, my my attitude to it sometimes is, you know, I think your attitude, Mel, of compassionate feminism is 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 a wonderful one. Uh, I'm also not there all the time because I yeah, get her. That's cool. I get a little bit sick like, of that shit. <laughs> completely, we're totally human. Like um, yeah. it's a dance. Yeah. Like it is. It is. But there's a lot to be said for. I suppose for me, I get the, I get to take that rage, and then it appears as beautiful light shows, and there's mm. healing in that. So when I have a creative process, that it, it channels through the anger, yes. and like like you know. But um, I really, I love the work of David Hawkins and his scale of emotions. When you map out the emotions on a, on, a, on a logarithmic scale and you see the interweaving and the interplay, I gave a talk about it before. And like anger is the tipping point emotion. It's like the, ne the last negative emotion. If you believe there's such things as negative emotion, I don't really, but it's the last <laughs> negative emotion. It's the t and then you're up to like peace, love, joy. Oh, oh, you're up having a 
great time. Oh. What's the lowest vibrational emotion on the scale? If you really want to disempower people. Shame. Boom. God, you're banging the button. She's shame. going, she's going. I, I tend to not answer these questions. We were talking about shame before and I was like, mm, that's it. That, that'll fucking cut the legs out from under you. Shame. Honest to God. And it's really yeah. sticky and it gets, in, it, it's, it becomes like fully, a full physical emotional experience, whereas guilt tends to be associated more with a, a specific event or something. But those two together, the right to the bottom of the scale. So we're culturally conditioned to feel angry and then ashamed for feeling angry. So you go from the tipping point emotion, like an empowered state, to the oh. ultimate disempowerment. But if you alchemize the rage, you're home and drive to love, joy, you know, mm. all these expansive states. So when I when I start playing with that scale, that's what really shifted my my personal experience with anger. I, yeah. I became empowered by it, but I still get fucking angry. Like, how will you? I mean, I think you're right. Dogs, when, you know, you know, when you were talking earlier about like how when you first start like noticing like sexism in the world or discrimination in yeah. the world and you start feeling the rage you're not it's not your own rage that you're feeling yeah. and like I would feel the same rage about certain things in Irish history oh, that yeah. are related to kind of colonialism and and you know the attempted ethnocide of Irish people like you know I I definitely get and it feels very similar like that rage and that grief is like yeah. is it not just mine this is also something ancestral this is also something some sort of transgenerational stuff that is is here big time yeah. oh, it's huge and like if you look say at the feminine i think that's why the mother and baby home scandal seems to be the most difficult to process yet like i've talked to so many of my friends and some are like you know are in their 50s 60s and they've you know they were involved in the peace process process in northern ireland and the consultants they've been meditating for years they don't know what to do with this trauma because it seems to be like it's a fundamental attack at the mother the feminine and we all come from the mother and then innocent children but the fact that the whole of Irish society was colluded in this process and we were so suppressed after colonialism it's this huge wound and I, I, mm. I we went through this epic process trying to work through it and heal through it with um the light show that we did I underestimated just how deep we go and cathartic it would be and then how do you bring that healing in and what's the role of the arts and creativity mm. and the rage and yet yeah, the rage that translates as huge support from the Irish people when you know the campaign to unseal the archive like it landed 200,000 signatories it's the fastest growing petition in the history of the state and that was explosive rage but huge support for the survivors and this outcry from the Irish people to say we've got the courage to heal and face our past and we're not going to lock it in the way box in the box anymore we want to transcend it because you can't lock trauma in a box it's always there but it's in the subconscious or it's swept under the carpet it doesn't go until it's been worked through and I really do believe I've seen it now like there's some great examples safe Ireland like they I don't know how they do it like it's domestic violence charity it's really difficult work and um but they, they curated this global summit and the first speakers were Holocaust survivors. Wow. And they were in their 80s and they fully, you know, he, they were genuinely in a state of joy most of the time in their lives. So they worked through, I mean, the, the depth of work that these women had been on their own soul journey. And then to experience what's possible, the potential to heal and to start a conference from that perspective and then to create a safe space to hold women and men who were still processing through their experience. And Nora Casey was in tears on stage. And my God, it was just explosive. But 
to remember that we can heal. And I think that's the gift of Anya is that she did. Like she's still the goddess and she still healed and, and, and overcame it. And and I personally, that's been my experience. Now I get, I've no trigger talking about my experience of sexual abuse. Um, and I never thought that would that would come. So um, here's the indomitable, indomitable spirit <laughs> that, is, that is humanity, you know, especially in these triggering times. Like we've got that's, so much to heal and work through as a collective yeah. and individually, you know. That's beautiful. I mean, yeah. I think like, that was my kind of like to close off question from for the Anya story is like what is it that she represents for us as yeah. a goddess you know what is it yeah. that, that light means for humanity and how does it kind of be kind of embodied and I think Mel like you embody that in the way you fucking shine light on stories that have been hidden away and we want to keep on fucking shouting from the hills and fucking calling in the ancestral wisdom yeah. that's been there for a fucking long ass time and that every now and again we forget for a yeah. hundred years or so and fuck things up and have to remember <laughs> you know like yeah. it's every now and again there's a, um, a state of amnesia goes on and we to relearn the shit again um, yeah. So yeah, uh, any closing off? Uh, how would you summarize Anya, Sarika? Ah, uh, I think you did a lovely uh, job on Anya. Um, the I loved I loved her whole like introduction as this like you know pansexual, like teaching everybody how to love, yeah. um, just going around riding the countryside and then turning <laughs> into a mare and running away and winking at you and going, you can't catch me, baby. Uh, she's fucking great. Like, I think she's got such a, like the mischief and the regality and the idea of those two things like existing in the same person that she can be so mischievous and she can be yeah. this like trickster lover uh, queen all at, all at the same time. Um, I thought it was lovely. And I, I think, you know, Anya is, Anya is still there and Knuck Anya is still there. And, uh, you know, here's to, here's to turning up on Anya's hill some full moon night. Well, like, I think it's, it's a nice uh, segue into the fact that you're continuing to shine the light of Anya yeah. and the other goddesses. We've brought a close to our goddess series. That doesn't mean we'll stop talking about goddesses anytime soon. Oh. And I guess you're still in the midst of literally going around and blasting her story across the airwaves into our faces, our mind palaces, our emotional bodies, our subcortexes and neocortexes. And we're going to fucking get it from every direction. So can you tell, you, tell us, Mel, what, what is it that you're most excited about that you're working on with her story right now or in the last while? Yeah, sure. Yeah. So the Mother and Baby Home um, light show was very special because we had set the intention to somehow, if possible, spark a healing process. And the feedback from the survivors is that it's done that, that some who couldn't cry before were able to cry and wow. that even some subconscious repressed guilt and shame for others who had managed to keep their children was processed through as well. And it's really helped people. So that was hugely humbling and heartwarming. And we're going to continue that journey. So we're going to bring that light show to Dublin as well at the right time. And I'd love to do it when the pandemic's lifted and we can invite all the survivors to come and see themselves lit up in the GPO and yes, just make a big celebration of them, you know? So that'd be, that'd be fabulous. Um, what else is in the pipeline? International well, Women's Day. Oh, what? Just, no, just before, I think we should pass comment on the fact that Laura Murphy is oh, yeah. an acquaintance of ours and she's just been doing, I've just listened to her radio uh, sections that probably yeah. everyone else knew about until I 
found out about uh, a couple of weeks after. But she's yeah. been speaking brilliantly and beautifully about her open letter to the Taoiseach. We met her in the Salmon and Knowledge Festival. She told me, and yeah. Yeah, so you you know the story. Well, she just said her iPod broke and Oshin, we just finished telling a story about Fiona McCool and, and the great goddess that had the river, uh, a boyne, and, and like she got up on the stage then to tell her first ever performance and yeah. she had no music. It was like, ah, oh, she didn't do it. No, she was like, okay. Uh, and so there was a great, and then as she told the story and she beautiful flowing, poetry about Anu and, the, and the, her triple aspect kind of weaving of that poetry of the uh, triple god goddess three light dancers came on and started spinning and doing hula and poi with fire and it was just like one of the most amazing things I'd ever seen it was just wow. fantastic yeah. I remember meeting Laura and she absolutely thought that you and Oshin were like sent by the two of Dedanon to rescue her when her iPod broke. Like she just <laughs> and then that she that, yeah. that that these dancers like her were summoned. It it sounds like an absolutely magical uh, moment. That's she Laura. Has... Magic follows Laura. She's really she's a really special. So she's a very dear friend of mine, actually. Um Ever since Stand for Truth, really, um, she was writing haikus. I was drafted in to light up landmarks with the first whistleblowers um, against the Catholic Church. And Susan Quirk, another dear friend of ours, she led a very powerful meditation at the Magdalene Laundry. So we're three very close friends and we were weaving together behind the scenes. And Laura messaged me and she said, I'm supposed to have a weekend off, but by God, this letter is coming through me. It's coming through me. <laughs> and you could feel the force in her voice. And I was like, God, I can't wait to read this letter. And the first version of it, like it was a small thesis, I think it was like 5,000 words. And she, you know, she went through like stunning um, historical research and then the quality of her writing, like Jim Fitzpatrick said, it's like on a party, Heaney, some of those lines in there. If Heaney was alive today, he'd be docking the, his hat to her. So we're so proud of her. Um, she's been on a big journey, really big journey with, and really coming into her power through the process of writing that letter. And we, yeah, it was fascinating. Like we, like we both stepped, stood up together with two other friends um, who would all be very much on a spiritual path, but you know, very much in the, main, in, in the mainstream real 3D world. And we all were in, covered in the national media on Bridget's Day and none of us got any backlash for speaking our truth, which we find fascinating. Yeah, so in Laura's case, like, you know, she's getting support from like ministers and Anglican ministers and theologians and academics and- wow. You're the kind of people that would you think would be picking a hole in it and they're all so supportive she hasn't had one negative comment at all which is just shows you the power of speaking your truth in these times and if you do it with the right intention she'd a really pure intention behind it um oof, i thought i know? thought like even just her, her her bringing in her grandfather and his aspect of not not wanting to do that thing that the church said to yeah. do and having telling his daughter don't feel my guilt and having uh, having a recognition of not villainizing one gender over another as we talked about is kind of so important because fucking fathers lost daughters through this whole fucking thing as well mm -hmm. that's you know, really important huge yeah. trauma for a culture not just women there was a lot yeah. of hurt on both sides and when hurt happens to women it also happens to their their sons and their brothers and their you know so like yeah there's a no no person is shit. is an island and it is that thing of like you know yeah. it all goes it all rolls downhill and it hits everybody on the way down like Completely, yeah. It's and it's the mother in how the mother has been just dictated and controlled, and that's why mm. we had to commission a whole new photographic series um, to reclaim, to take back the mother archetype, 
as the goddess that she was and to reimagine her. And I really thought I was going to get a roast for doing this, but not in a single negative comment either. It's bizarre. <laughs> I think myself still. But the kind of work you get away with no problem in France, but in Ireland, wow, we're obviously on a leap. Something's going on in the ether because people right. really are, are so much more open to progressive work. But um, Yeah, we're getting there. We're getting there. Yeah, you have to do the right thing for the right reason. That's what my mom always mm. says. And the, the intention was right, but Jesus, you always leave yourself open to it. But I, yeah. I also just because yeah. eventually you're going to get a comment. Eventually you're probably going to get something. And like I also yeah. think it's very fucking important to say that doesn't fucking matter. There yeah, are of course, fucking yeah. idiots everywhere. And you know, it, it's not all. We're not all good, and we're not all bad. There no, no, no. I know. Who, you have to go. Okay, your values I don't agree with, and I'm going to move past. And you've said something that is hurtful and insulting and you you don't you, you you're not coming into my kind of bubble of harmony here and that's fine uh, i'm going to keep on doing and finding my teammates and i think it's also fucking important <laughs> oh, listen. Say, yeah. oh listen that's that's an important thing to be able to have um so you were you mentioned something before we came on mel that you wanted to see our reactions to yes i've got a proposition uh, for you and it's I'm a lot live now so you have to say yes so right. it's called the Bridget box, but you know how I feel about not putting Bridget in the box. Okay. So rewind back to 2015 and her story, I suppose, was sparked by Josephine Hart, this incredibly authentic woman from Mullingar. She was a poetry evangelist, um, best-selling author and theater director, all around good person. Poetry saved her life. Three of her siblings died before she was 18, tragic circumstances. And she, she turned to poetry and it saved, she said it saved her life. That was her form of counseling herself through the whole process. So um, she, before she passed away, uh, she created this really, cool, the early days of the internet, this is going back before 2015, uh, she had created this really simple, cool algorithm website, thingamajiggy, where basically you put in your sin and it cures you with a poem. Oh, wow. The seven deadly sins cured through poetry. And I thought, this is genius. So I was, uh, we were celebrating honoring Josephine as part of the Heart of Ireland Festival. And I worked for Sachi's, um, the famous advertising agency. And I reached out to Morris, who was married to Josephine. And I said, Morris, look, I'd love to honor Josephine. She's such a local heroine. And, you know, she hasn't been given the credit due. And we talked about lots of different ideas. And I said to him, you know that fantastic website where you turn a sin into a poem? Well, how about we actually make that a real physical experience, i.e., we get a confession box, we put wheels on it, we spray paint it, it tours around all the theatre arts festivals around Ireland, you pop inside and it feckin' cures you, your sin with a poem. <laughs> so Morris said to me, he said, love it, Mel. Now he's one of the original madmen. He's like, you know, he's, he's, he's royalty in the ad industry, but he's still a very respectable Jewish man. He's an older <laughs> generation. He said to me, I'll fund that. We'll make that happen. But first you have to get the blessing from the local parish priest. Back in 2015 in Mullingar, this is before the marriage equality referendum, just a few months before it, off I go off marching down <laughs> to meet the parish priest. And in fairness in Mullingar, like, the priests are really sound, like they're, they're, we, were, we were kind of known for having sound uh, young progressive priests. And he gave us, he did a right The cool priest with the guitar. Seriously, honestly, you'd meet them out clubbing on a night out and they're, they're great crack and they'd never hit on you or anything. They're really respectful, sound guys. Um, and there's never been an instance of clerical sexual abuse ever reported. It's a really a bit of an anomaly, actually. Um, but anyway, he said to me, uh, he said, I love it, you know. Um, he really enjoyed the idea. He said, but I just think there's a few elderly parishioners now 
they'd be a bit offended by it. You know, the older generation, they would be, but it's a great idea. So that was the end of that, that got parked. Now, then of course I discovered that Bridget was a goddess, the goddess of poetry. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, we could just, we could do it for Bridget. And it's called, mm-hmm. Bridget, well, it's, it's, the nickname is Bridget's Box anyway, that's the, the shorthand for her anyway, but I'm adamant, I'm gonna make it happen. Now there's no way official Ireland's gonna fund this. I probably have to fund it out of my own pocket. I've got the, the prop designer, he does a lot of work for the Abbey on board. I know who the graffiti artist is. Could it be a Candlelit Tales first story collaboration? Oh, oh. are you game? Cure your sin with a story. You've already basically you know <laughs> style. how I am, right? Basically, I lo- I love creativity. I love collaborating. Mm. I love when someone gives me an idea and asks me to collaborate. <laughs> so, fuck yes is always my answer. Uh, let's put us in a box and let's fucking. Give- I mean, like it's a fucking brilliant idea. No, I love it's it. It's a no-brainer. Like that sounds no great. great. And in that honor of Josephine, yeah, we'll have to we yeah. have to give her due credit, and uh, we might have to ask Tara Flynn as well to 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 get on board because I know Tara originally wrote Bridget Not Jones's diary for her yes. story's launch back in 2016, and she performed. Oh, it's all about how Bridget wanted to be a goddess, not a saint. It's side splittingly funny. Did, didn't she perform? Oh, sure. Did she? Oh, she oh, did that oh, at her, at the Sugar Club. She, she did indeed. No, she sure. performed a different piece for you. She about, did. No, she she did the. Butter. Butter. Well, you bridging the butter. She did the bridging the butter, but she recently I was going to say I shared her Bridget uh, letter and I know he's having a bit. I like, got oh, a total kind of like amazing crush on Tara. Like yeah. you're so cool. <laughs> I, you're deadly. Here I shared your thing, Tara. Your class. And she's like, oh, class. Thanks so much. And she's just the most polite, lovely, even being about And then no ego. Side so, sunny, funny, and from Cork. So like this, you know, yeah. on me. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds class I love the idea of Bridget's box yeah. that sounds absolutely amazing there'll have to be a load of boxes get like old bo- oh, boxes oh, oh, listen. We'll, them up, do them up have them done uh, in and out get a poem bada bing bada boom what a way to fucking turn this it's gonna that happen anybody's listening anyone help crowdfund this let's make it happen or I can pay for it in my own pocket <laughs> we'll figure it out we'll figure it out We'll figure it out. Can't see the art can't put money into it now, but uh, we we'll make it happen Patreon. one way or the other. Yeah. We have a Patreon support and we can try and figure out how to do it in. Can't figure right. some stuff out. <laughs> and, and you know what? I mean, like this whole thing is is this is funded by by like we're looking at this kind of from the ground up support because my my head Super. goes through the wall whenever I look at an application and, and beautiful a small group festival in a van approached us recently to do an arts ap- application for a beautiful idea that we said fuck yeah here's later here's the thing and the thing they put it in and hey look you know there's a gajillion things that go in there and it's hard to get but they, they didn't get the funding she was gobsmacked it was like they're telling oh, wow. stories to primary mm-hmm. schools about goddesses and and oh, you know wow. the, uh, heroes of Kukul and Fiona and Bridget and Anu as well as everything else mm-hmm. and unfortunately it didn't get done that doesn't mean we're going to stop fucking telling stories to everybody so of course you know sometimes you don't get the big funding sometimes you do yeah. sometimes you also create a network and a society and a group of people that you can collaborate with on an ongoing basis and you know the invisible team members are out there they help you collaborate they help support you to when you need a paintbrush slap down a thing they'll do it if it's five bucks that comes next year to get that paintbrush yeah. happy fucking days it's about collaborating and communicating as much as we can and keeping up this form of cohesion that is currently really lacking in society because it's really been fucking pulled at the Thames and we're, we're struggling to knit it all back together but I think we're doing it and I think we're trying to do it I think the more awesome. we continue on uh, the Her Story Pathway and the Candlelit Tales way of working 
and uh, we're figuring out how we find each other out in the world or that we're living in. And I Absolutely. Think Putting stuff out there and, and seeing who it attracts. Um, before we end, before, before we, we end. run out of the steam, Bridget's Day is going to be a national holiday happen. next year, probably. Mel, tell us about how that's going to happen. Yeah, so we've got a permit petition at the moment now please sign it because people keep sharing it it's gone viral in the past and yet people just share it and don't sign it so do sign it we're going to present it to leo bradker it's his department that calls the shots on national holidays we're going to do that on the equinox the day of equality for men and women 20th of march but we're going to give a good push on st patrick's day might do some cheeky um viral mischief might just take over patrick's day seeing as he gets so much of the spotlight wow. don't don't forget Sheila. sheila's day which is the day I after know, patrick's day which is his wife's day <laughs> A note on that, actually, uh, I'll never forget it, the year that we did an event for St. Sheila's Day as part of Patrick's Day Festival, officially in the programme. And I had Tara Flynn perform her shame song on the altar. And Bridget Not Jones's diary from the pulpit. Yes. Amazing. It was epic. We like, oh yeah, telling all the stories of the women from all the different world religions. So she took on Catholicism. Classic. Brilliant. And you know what, this kind of leads me on to uh, uh, probably our, uh, what will have to be our closing piece that we'll all reflect on. But I think, you know, I've worked in theatre for since my, from my whole acting career to date. Yeah. And, and I found that uh, Candle Tales started off as a live thing. And we've, since starting a podcast, have been listening to infinitely more people than ever saw us live. So way more people who have ever heard us tell a story on a podcast than have ever managed to be in a room with us and had a very hugely beautiful yeah. emotional thing but that's the importance of actually having a uh, a platform where you can share not just her story on a website not just on a national tv but not on just on the the churches and the facades but everywhere and be able to have a platform that is connected to people across the globe because yeah. fucking there's Irish people all over the gaff and if you're not yeah, Irish, yeah. you're also probably sound or could be you know, you know there's no language if you're not Irish so do we have time <laughs> to see the pictures quickly will we play for them absolutely do um, yeah. and is there anything else you want to mention on um, Bridges Day before we goddess and saint absolutely fundamentally she was first and foremost a goddess and then a saint. Um, Pan-European, celebrated all across Europe, wasn't always a pinky-faced white Irish person. That's really important. So she is a multicultural goddess and a great unifying icon for our times when Brexit is threatening the EU. So um, I just think she's badass and awesome. And to think the whole world celebrates St. Patrick's Day, not even just the Irish, the whole world is Irish on St. Patrick's Day. And yet mm -hmm. we don't even have a national holiday for our matron saint and goddess. It's a no-brainer. Fingers crossed. The Women's Caucus now, all the female politicians have got behind it in the doll and they're taking it to Leo as well. So I think we've got a really strong pitch and uh, feck it, wouldn't it be? It's about time. And, and you know what? Oh, yeah. I, 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 don't want, I don't want to just like rush this into like the, the last bit that we ran through. I think it's really, really fucking important. I think it's also one of those things that like uh, Brid Bridget is a holiday. You're like, oh yeah, that sounds like a, an, an airy fairy healing thing for people over there. Fine, but also as Laura Murphy kind of talked about in in, in Offaly, she got people, uh, business owners, and people who had cafes, and and yeah. uh, were like, yeah, it would actually be good commerce. It would be an extra. Oh, completely. Be like, great so for business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> great for business. Great for you. Great for me. Great for her. Great for us. Yeah. Everybody wins. Everybody, yeah, everybody wins. wins. Tourism, Ireland, 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 diaspora, you name it. And it's like we need something positive and uplifting. Like in February, it's that like January is such a heavy month. And like, yeah, you're good two, three months off, but you know, real spring, like the real explosion of spring. So we need that boost. 
And we need I to reclaim so. the goddess. Mm, 100%. So, so we're in service. Yeah. Shows, shows your photos, shows your, shows oh, your yeah. pictures, man. I'm excited. When I made this slideshow for you guys because I love you so much. Lee. Uh, I can't wait. I know. I will win through. I know. Take it Eru. lighting up Ishnok, the first year we ever did a light show, photo by Killian Kennedy. Uh, so, glacial erratic is not the easiest thing to light up. Yeah. Mel, I'm just going to say before we carry on, I'll tell you what, this, this will be the, the kind of end of our podcast because if you're listening to this back, um, we should probably kind of like you know say that these will be oh, available yeah. through some platform like YouTube. Go subscribe yes, to the channel and watch yes. the thing. So carry on. If you <laughs> yes, if you're listening to this on a podcast, go but go and go and look at the YouTube channel and you'll see these <laughs> images because they're they are worth looking at. Absolutely. <laughs> go ahead, there, man. Taking back the goddess Eru by Jim Fitzpatrick, founding goddess of Ireland, and this is Eru reimagined in the 21st century. I've always wanted to do this mixed race teenage girl at men art. She just got her first period represented by the, the red face paint. Wow. The, the Baron representative of the moon, her moon time. And she's like, oh, it. like, she's like, watch me rise, watch me rise. So these were incredible photographic series that were created by Miriam Reand and Anya O'Brien. The first three are for a safe Ireland collaboration that we did at the beginning of the year, reclaiming and reimagining Irish goddesses. Eru, number one. Sheila a gig. <laughs> you don't need to say anymore do you that's fabulous yeah great crack this this is uh bridget really <sighs> it's a really beautiful story behind this image actually alexandra is a trans woman and the bridget is all about reclaiming and welcoming the trans community into ireland as they should always have been hmm um a no-brainer and it was just it's the most beautiful um renaissance it's a renaissance image that's what it's entitled as bridge of the renaissance mm. yeah just so so healing so anya and Miriam created this image and susan pinged it over to me on whatsapp one evening i was like oh my god who are these women this is the breastfeeding madonna which was normal church art until the 15th century when the church burned the art of breastfeeding madonnas when they burnt the witches at the stake wow so yeah we haven't had a natural madonna since then that is hildy she's a beautiful dutch woman who lives in west clare and that is her baby girl <laughs> fist pumped ready to take on the patriarchy <laughs> or domination model or whatever you want to call it anyway oh, oh, ready oh, for oh, careful there, no. <laughs> yeah it's really incredible so just taking back and taking back the mother and reclaiming it and i mean hildy she's defiant she's beautiful heart energy i met her in person but um defiant mm. we're back watch us the adoration of the mother um this is joanna and her son and they're beautiful beautiful family and you can read her stories we've got a photo essay about all these images the, the process oh, the artist went on was absolutely extraordinary really deep artistic process and they cast real women there's no models there's no celebrities it's real authentic women um and their stories and quite a few of them actually have connections to the mother and baby homes and that whole era as well mm. and the industrial schools so i highly recommend reading it. it's called sovereignty it's on our website this is mother creation the black madonna embodied by nadine reed in the liberties in dublin wow it's stunning yeah she is wow. just and she's huge energy she's just a force of nature what mm. a character yeah. beautiful Trish uh, embodying the Kayak, the letting go phase. Anya um, hung hundreds of ribbons on that tree, on the Hawthorne tree, to 
symbolize all the children that died at June. So it's the, the flaming tree on fire, biblical reference. And Trish actually herself and her three siblings were taken from their, their mother and sent to industrial school. So it's very close to the bone for Trish. And she heals through singing. Wow. There she is. Gorgeous. So she's a traveler woman. Yeah. Traveler woman and proud, quite the force. That's and these is beautiful um, triple goddess portrait of three generations of a Irish going family, Indian Irish family. And they live in, in Clare. Yeah. So they, mm. they've also got Scottish heritage too. And one of them is actually wearing a, yeah, you can see the tartan. Yes. <laughs> the mother, yeah. So grandmother, mother and daughter. And then we lit them, these beautiful portraits up on buildings. So this is the jealous wall in Belvedere House and Gardens in Mullingar, close to where I'm, I'm from. It's the largest folly in Ireland. Uh, one brother was jealous, jealous of another brother, so he blocked his wife's view of the other brother's house. <laughs> yeah, jealousy. Wow, jealousy. What, a, what a beautiful thing to put on such a, a monument to pettiness. <laughs> I know, we, start, we started like the, the pilgrimage. Like we started on a jealous one and ended on the mother and baby home, but we lit up castles and museums on route. It was quite a fascinating process. You look back at it and go, and my mum actually did a drawing of the route. It actually looks like a pregnant woman, the route that we did through the heart of Ireland. Yeah, Amazing. it's very fun. And this is the creative team here, Anya and Miriam and Margaret to the styling. There's something else to work with, serious talent, just huge heart. It was, we all cried when we received the proposal. It was the depth of it, the research. And the, they just wanted to, to reclaim, but to heal. And it was done in such a loving way. They, they transformed their anger. Oh, you know they'd gone yeah. through that whole process and i just thought respect you know um i love this this is a blood moon by Mish oh will it play i don't know if it'll play this yeah, so this was on the mother and baby home with sean ross abbey sean ross abbey for the mother and baby home where 1090 children little babies died. and that's the iconic red door from the philomena film mm. So we, yeah, we gave a serious blast of, of goddess, um, goddess mm. energy, a very powerful piece that was created by um, Mission in, in response to an Irish woman's poem, Miss Brennan. And then we projected Athlone Castle with all the names of the babies from the, the uh, Irish Examiner mm. cover, the children who died of Vesper. Yeah, she's those good colors. It was very powerful, yeah. God, like there wasn't a dry eye when we did this. Like it was very, very cathartic, yeah. Mm. And this is quite a leap. Oh, because this is on. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I didn't pick that through actually. There, there she is. Shuts herself. <laughs> yeah, for yeah, so Anya, um, by Jim Fitzpatrick, one of the first illuminations that we did. Maybe why we didn't get funding that year, I don't know. Get <laughs> impressed on Anya. There's no bag straight out of Dublin City Hall onto Bernardo Square. Yeah, she's huge, <laughs> isn't she? Gorgeous. Isn't she great? I fucking did. There's something about Anya. I just fucking love. I just thought, right, every time I found yeah. out, I was like, oh, what a legend. Mm. You pretty. guys were here for this, weren't you? When we got yeah. the really powerful projector last year. Because they keep like updating the street lights in Dublin with these super powerful like security lights, and then you turn up to a light show, and it's light pollution's a nightmare. So we we flew this thing in from the UK, Panasonic twenty one thousand lumen projector. There's no messing with it. Like Bridget on fire. That's Bridget by Courtney Davis. I just adore his work. Love hanging out with Courtney on the 
the hill of Tara, he's one of the great divine masculines actually he's like a god in his own right pure heart and so much respect for the feminine this is courtney's work again kildare cathedral like wow there she is at home transition that's another piece by courtney mm. do you know courtney's work i know it. i know it from the the her story images that you've shared with yeah. me over the years but so i i wouldn't you. have known him outside of through you that's extraordinary yeah that's the transition piece that we did up there that's the piece you're saying oh yeah oh, wow. don't look at it whole... before you go to bed you won't sleep it's like they're like, they're like mandalas i suppose it's spiritual art it's designed to mm. have an effect you know on you it's wake you up that's for sure that's incredible wow. that is so beautiful yeah mm. it's very special and then we do open calls so every year people can send us their bridget art and you tell us who bridget is for you and you'll get your art laid up on buildings which is awesome and this is a uh, Bridget by Non Waters. I love her electric pink hair. Mm. Uh, and Bridget by Dean McKiernan, local artist from Mullingar. And Ninja Bridget. Now this oh my God. Royal the Ion Institute. I got some pretty <laughs> sharp tweets from David Quinn. I don't think I've ever been so proud of myself. <laughs> oh, that's fucking glorious. Look Isn't at her with the, with the Bridget's, Bridget's cross as the ninja star. I know. And the red robes. Ah, oh, that's class. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. The playing cards. She'd have to be the ace. Like. Oh, yeah. yeah. That is class. That is class. Isn't it amazing? Oh, With real pies as well. Yeah. Yeah. Order, yeah. And then, oh, poof. Oh, she goes so well on the side of a church. <laughs> I know, she really does. Yeah. And fairness, they're perfectly. very progressive until they're like, they're, it's a good, fine Protestant church, you know? Yes, they're, very, they're all very open-minded. They love British. Yeah, that's brilliant. Modern times, and this is the first time I saw Ninja Bridget. <sighs> Sean created this piece for the first ever first story light show when you guys were in. Yes, yeah, Smock. I think they came down and joined us in Smock afterwards. Mm. Sean Brannigan, storyboard workshop. He's such a gifted artist and filmmaker. He's a brilliant film director too, and he made this. And every time I go into school, the the, the kids are like, "When is this going to be an animation series?" So I have yeah. to get funding. They Where is it? Them. Please give it to me now. Class. I would like it immediately. You know who it is on the left there, the giant elk, Gorm, Gorm I call her Gorm Lyeth, Gorm Lay, Brian Baru's wife. Oh. She held oh. the throne three times. She was high queen three times. When he was taken out, she married a Viking. I think that's yeah. Viking. She, I mean, she was just. Class. The real, the real powerhouse in that dynamic. But every, everybody's heard of Brian Baru and never heard of her. So I was like, that's it. Yeah. Put it in there. There no, she needs to be in there. One of those trigger yeah. moments, the early days of her story, was like Cesar and Gorm Lyoth. I was like, of course, the most powerful women would have to be the most hidden. Well, we yeah. found them. We found them. Oh. <laughs> and then we found them up on buildings. And um, Sean's <laughs> wife, Amy DeVroon, she wrote this incredible play called I See You about Lady Mary Heath, Ireland's Queen of the Skies, who was actually more famous than Amelia Hart in her day. Limerick woman who's up in the middle flying over the moon there. And Amy performed the the plane it was like irish times theater um of the week uh yeah she's just yeah so they're such a Class. gifted couple they're amazing to work with yeah Great. early collaborators and then i said jim you have to do jim it's patrick you have to do bridget and would you believe he'd never drawn fire before he's 75 years of age never drawn fire so he had to go and study how to draw fire huh i seriously yeah wow and i said to him i said jim no club and no cross you're not allowed you have to do you have to crack out of a box um, so <laughs> I love this idea about her embodying the masculine and feminine perfect, you know, perfect harmony and the element of water and fire for the times that we live in, because we do want equality, whatever that 
we'll look like in that journey god knows but at least let's let's aim for it so <laughs> so jim made this piece um and there's different variations of it and i said jim well mm. i do love the bare breasted uh goddesses but you know you don't always have to and <laughs> he covered her up and i nearly missed i nearly missed them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he said you can't teach an old dog new tricks one of my uh, he learned how to draw fire that. for you mel that's good yeah. That's a good oh, trick. I like, I like her cloak of green though. There's something cute, really beautiful about the, like oak oak leaves or something that she's. Yeah. Good style. Nestled down into. Yeah. Beautiful. Tour, there she is in the GPO. Mm. Um, this is printed by. Oh, forgive me. I can't remember the name of the artist now. That's Sunday fatigue. Deadly. Uh, yeah. by Louise Rowland, like a, a Picasso style Bridget. Wow. I love yeah, I love the sun and the eye there. That's beautiful. Mm. It's powerful, isn't it? Mm. Adam oh, Robert Martin sent us in this piece last year. We lit it up. Stunning. Oh, I love the recent temporary vibes to it. Yeah. Shelky Bean. Bridget with her flame. <laughs> Great, isn't it? Yeah. I love it. Yeah, and we light them all up. It's, this is multicultural EU Bridget by Non Waters this year. Yeah. Nice. She looked great on the cathedral and then fritz created this mural it's up in uh, it's permanent um stone mural up in uh under Dundalk, i think or Drada. i yeah. like it it's, it's it has the look of a kind uh, of a tarot card um, yeah. yeah again that that, that god and that, that saint same goddess yeah duality beautiful mm. and she is both yeah that's yeah important. we don't want to lo- like lose the saint either we definitely want both. no the saint was an extraordinary figure in in early early christianity and incredibly influential yeah it's the last bit of embodying you know like you you can embody a goddess and be be a saint in your in in whatever time frame you can embody something and bring it forward and then into the modern you know uh sorry who's this yeah this is markovich so yeah markovich and we thought we'd light up all the buildings where the women smashed the windows a hundred years ago Mm. or civilized just a bit of light and we made the third item on the rt6 got news we weren't the quirky thing at the end of the news we were actually one of the main headline stories i'll never forget it because i no pressure on me now but i got a i got an email from the director of the national women's council of ireland orlo connor she said mel pressure's on you now you're first out the gates this is the big year this is the year we're going for (laughs) repeal the eighth like do was proud and we went straight after the gpo <laughs> and she was like you did us proud we're on fire the feminists are out blazing like power to us like yeah but there was mm-hmm. there was a bit of heat on that it was a big year every you could, you could feel the tension building and we had to do we had to do them justice so mm. don't mess with markovich no fucking what a power hose yeah and also like I love that her sister was a pacifist who radicalized her. They had this amazing dynamic between them. And she was a really gifted really? Um, horticulturalist. She loved flowers. This is not going about her. She had a real soft side to her too. And a very keen landscape artist, I'll have you know, but also loved crystals. Well, we knew we knew that, but we didn't know about the horticulture. She's not wrong. Oh yeah, there's so much to Markovich. Like she was just, I you know what I loved about it as well because she went to art college, so she was very clever about how she constructed her image. She didn't want to ditch her femininity either, so she would wear these elaborate feather hats with her full military garb. 
Yes, she was very, she was very stylized always, yeah, wasn't she? She, she, she had, she, she had a seriously college. conscious look. That makes sense. That makes a Never, lot of sense. Like, for her time, for her an ear, like to see a woman in military garb, like, and then to wear a yeah. feather hat with us, like, what a, what a bad Yeah, that was, it, that was super yeah. on purpose. It, and it made just unconscious, uh, there was a, a pretty creating Constance yeah. put, put out there by the Hawksworth Theatre on, online. And it was just again talking about like a collaboration of brilliant musicians, male and female, and readings of, of her letters and stuff, and just like ah, oh, it was fantastic. What really? an absolute legend to, to look back at her time, yeah, and what she had done, and then kind of put into the modern perspective. Like ah, huh, right, yeah, okay, we still have that all that work to do. Not all of it, but still a lot of it. <laughs> People yeah. in our comments really, really like Ninja Bridget. Just I know yeah. she's a big <laughs> <one>. <laughs> right, right, my, don't like her. Reason. Yeah, 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 we we better we better wrap up. It's 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 half eight. Okay, we're rolling. Boan, Eru. Oh, this is a shoot we did on the beach one time messing. Mm. This is like projections on caves and cliffs oh, in the wild, the wild west of Ireland, as you do for the crack. And my dad's mm-hmm. just like a bit witchy, man, oh, a bit witchy. Wow, <laughs> and mother and child. Oh, go away. That's quite a trippy image. Shouldn't have worked, but it does. Oh, oh. oh yeah, it's amazing. The light in the sky behind it. Yeah. Ta-da! Fabulous. Class, class. But look, thank you so much, Mel, for sharing Um, that. Thank you guys for all your epic collaborations over the years and looking forward to many more and Bridget's box and God knows what else we've got up our sleeves. We put our heads together in these bizarre times. Apparently, according to Niamh, somebody, uh, there's loads of Arts Council giving away grants and they're affecting loads of them, so play away. And, uh, and that's about as enjoyable as one to just <laughs> But anyway. Um, we will. We'll have to. We'll apply for a few Arts Council grants. We will, Niamh. Yeah, we'll support us on Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> also. And then we can pay Aaron to fill in grant applications. <laughs> so many typos, lads. So many typos. And then yeah, pay me okay. to proofread them very, very carefully and think on all the time. On. <laughs> all right, okay. Look, we can stop then, everybody. Thanks, uh, Mel. Thank you very much for fucking joining us. You're an absolute legend. Keep lighting the fire. Keep it lighting it up. Likewise, lighting up the inspiration. And uh, legends. Big hug from afar. Deadly, deadly. Honor to know you. Absolute honor to know you. Thanks for all that you do to keep mythology alive and the rise of the goddess and oh just if and the, the divine masculine hmm? we'll get the we'll, and the divine masculine with the feminine we'll support both equally and yep. keep them fucking we rise together children. you yeah absolutely amazing fabulous to talk to you and lovely to see you and we will talk to you again soon and thank you everybody who chipped in in the chats it was really nice to see your comments until next time all right lads cheers slan agus gaurav mila you Ha <laughs> ha